Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Yesterday was the funeral for Dr. Billy Graham. Watched the entire event. Very emotional. And uh, wonderful kids that he's left behind. Grandkids. Just watching them talk about their father and grandfather was pretty emotional. Just just the, the gravity of what that man did in his lifetime. I wonder, though, did Billy Graham ever doubt that Christianity was true. I know that uh, Mother Teresa did. Uh, she had a diary that talked about her doubts. And I think it's natural for people to doubt whether Christianity is true. We're not omniscient beings. Maybe we're wrong. And some things come into our lives and we wonder, did this, is this really true? Really? Is there really a God, and did Jesus really rise from the dead about 2,000 years ago to prove that he was God and that his message, the gospel, which Billy Graham faithfully preached his entire life, that that message really is true, that there is a God, you are not him, you've fallen short of the standard, and God literally entered the bloodstream of humanity, lived a perfect life, took the world's sin on himself, and by trusting in him, your sins— can be forgiven and you can be given his righteousness. Is that message called the greatest story ever told? Is that really true or is it just wishful thinking? Well, my friend, Michael Patton, who has done some wonderful things for the body of Christ uh, and has developed a number of courses that uh, you can take. And I'll, we'll tell you about that a little bit later. Uh, he went to Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the best seminaries in the world. He's here to talk about it, and, and, and Michael, just a, gee, when was this, Mike? This was back in 2013. You wrote an article, 12 Ways to Prepare Your Children for Times of Doubt, and Richard Dawkins, the, the, the famous atheist, actually, actually commented on this blog post. He said it's tragic and a twisted way to parent, to prepare your children for times of doubt, and so we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about doubt what you can do about it. What are we supposed to do with our doubts? Is it really true that Christianity is true? And Michael Patton's on the line with us right now. Mike, how you doing? I'm really good. Thank you. Well, it's great having you on finally. You know, I've seen your work for quite a while, and it's only recently that we kind of uh, gotten together and tried to promote it a little bit more. Before we get into this doubt issue, uh, you have developed a series of online courses that you uh, have called Credo Courses. You have this ministry called Credo. You had this this uh, place in Oklahoma there that you would in- invite people to to actually record these courses. How did this all begin for you? Well, I think I think it was in seminary. Uh, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, went yeah. to a conservative Baptist church growing up, and there was there's nothing wrong with anything that anybody did beforehand. I mean, everybody did everything they could. And I felt like, you know, I was I was very prepared, even going into seminary, for uh, theology, for even apologetic, uh, and all, all the different subjects that, uh, you know, we we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, in uh, Christianity. And whenever I was in seminary, I remember this one class, and it was John Stanley's class. 
historic theology class. He was going through just a history of theology, and it really blew me away. I mean, it just, I, I just never heard this stuff before. And I was so excited about it. I mean, I would take everything that I learned immediately, go tell my wife, tell everybody that I could, because it was just, I can't believe this. I can't believe it's so awesome. And uh, I remember sitting in class one day and just kind of praying silently, saying, Lord, if, it, if I can, if, if it be your will, let me try to take this type of stuff and make it accessible to everybody. And so that's where it all began. I wanted to, I wanted to take the teachers. I wanted to take the teaching. I, I just, uh, you know, the wonderful heritage, the wonderful defense, the wonderful theology that we have, uh, make it available to everyone. And I also wanted to do it in such a way to where it was, to where it wasn't one-sided from a, from a, a, you know, an in-house perspective. I wanted to get a variety of scholars from evangelical Christianity, and regardless of their views of certain issues, you know, whether they're charismatic or not, or Calvinist or not, or, you know, uh, uh, those types of uh, smaller issues. I wanted to get the best scholars and have them preserved, number one, because, I mean, I I just want good, good videos, good teaching preserved as for uh, our generation, people, and the future generations, and then make make it accessible to everybody. And so that's where it came from. Well, you've done that so well because you've got Dr. Gary Habermas, the best probably scholar in the world on the resurrection. You've got Dr. Daniel Wallace, one of the best scholars when it comes to manuscript evidence and New Testament manuscripts. You've got Dr. Craig Blomberg, who wrote the book on the reliability of the Gospels. You've got uh, Dr. Daryl Bach, who is also an expert on the New Testament. I mean, these are these are world-class names that you've put together and you've recorded these guys and made it accessible, and we're honored to be able to offer some of these courses ourselves. Uh, you can go to uh, crossexamine.org and click on online courses, and, and you can actually take these courses. And the beauty of these courses, uh, Mike, is that you've been able to get these gentlemen who teach these courses on video to come live on Zoom, which is a video uh, conferencing software, so, with the, so when the students actually take these courses, if they take the premium version of the course, not only will they Zoom with you because you're the, you're the kind of the instructor, the moderator, but they'll actually ask questions directly live on video to Habermas, Wallace, Blomberg, Bach, and others. I mean, it's an amazing uh, kind, of, uh, uh, kind of group of people you've put together that anybody can learn from now. You don't have to go to seminary to do this. So if you want to learn more, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. Now, Mike, let's talk a little bit about doubts, uh, because you, as I say, wrote this this blog post about five years ago called 12 Ways to Prepare Children for Times of Doubt. Maybe we'll go through some of these as the program unfolds. And Richard Dawkins commented on it. What did he say? <laughs> he said, uh, well, I, I believe the words were twisted. Uh was the main word that he used for this. What a twisted way to parent. Because, you know, I thought, if anything, if you went through the article, I mean, at least you would have to appreciate some of it because of the way in which I tell people to approach children with doubt. And so I think that, you know, he just looked at it, anything like that will offend him. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's surprising to me that he read it and commented on it, but, uh, 
you know, I'm not sure exactly where he was, why he was so offended. My daughter got towards whenever she saw the whenever she saw the post and said something like, uh, you know, why, why would why do you why are you saying that about my my dad or something? And uh, he said, uh, I'm uh, I I am sorry that uh, it offended you. <laughs> wow. Well, it's ironic that a man who says that there is no purpose to life, that uh, we just dance to our DNA, that we're basically moist robots, would declare anything tragic and twisted. Because if there is no purpose to life, nothing can be tragic or twisted. He is basically stealing a standard from God to say that this is tragic and twisted. And, and, <laughs> and of course, it's not tragic and twisted to talk about how to deal with doubts. I mean, whether you're an atheist, I mean, I'm sure sometimes atheists doubt that what they believe is true. So it's, it's completely well, inconsistent. What's that? I wish that he would have taken some of the principles of it, you know? Yeah. If he would take some of the principles of the Bible post and apply it to his atheism, he might. I mean, if he said it'll be an atheist, I just hope he would be a better atheist. Cause it's not <laughs> a very good atheist. <laughs> right. Well, we're going to we're going to look into this a little bit more after the break and we're going to try and clear up Mike's line cuz it's a little bit garbled Mike. I don't know what's going on. We may recall you back, but hang on, don't go away. We're talking to Michael Patton who is the man that developed all these credo courses. Several of them you can take on our website crossexamine.org, click on online courses and you can see about them. They're with the best scholars in the world and you can actually ask them questions live. But what about doubts? Do you ever doubt that Christianity is true? And if so, what do you do about it? And what about your kids or your grandkids? Do they doubt? Again, what can you do about it? We're going to be talking about it on this edition of Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two minutes, so don't go away. What if somebody says that you should doubt everything? You know, skeptics are sometimes known to say that. They say you should doubt everything. Maybe you want to ask them, should I doubt that? See, why are skeptics skeptical of everything but skepticism? We're talking to my friend Michael Patton, the uh, author of several courses uh, that uh, are really put to, put together by world-class professors like Gary Habermas and, and uh, Daniel Wallace and Craig Blomberg and Daryl Bach, and those courses you can access at org, And we're talking about the subject of doubt. What do you do with doubt? Now, let's start with what the Bible says about doubt. Mike, what does the Bible really say about doubt? The New Testament in particular. Well, well there's a really good passage in 22. It's very short. Now, I think so many people miss this, but it's, but it's very important to understand this. It says, have mercy on some who doubt. Or, or you can even put a waiver in their faith. And it's the same kind of thing that uh, James was talking about, but a little bit different, because in James chapter 1, where James talks about doubting, he says, you know, he who doubts is completely unstable. That's a whole different thing. He's talking about he who wavers in taking the wisdom of God, even though God gives it to him. And so some people have a bad view of doubt, because James chapter 1, and say that any time you doubt, it is so terrible. But in another way, we have this, uh, this passage, 2.22, it says, have mercy on those. And so how do you have mercy on doubt, those who doubt? And that's the question. Yeah, how do you? And it's interesting in James, I'm sorry, in Jude, which you bring up, that a passage which says, uh, be merciful in those who doubt is preceded by this. I wanted to read this because context is so important. 
Uh, Jude says, remember, half-brother of Jesus, just like uh, just like James was. He says, but dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, but be merciful to those who doubt. So he's, he's setting this whole thing up about doubting. He's saying, hold fast. We know there's going to be scoffers, but hold fast to the faith. However, be merciful to those who doubt. So we have to be merciful. We have to help people who doubt. And I think doubt, Michael, as I think you might agree, can actually serve to be a good thing because it drives us to get answers. Do you find that true in your own life? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, with myself, with others, it's, uh, you know, whenever I, whenever I, I, I was at the point in my faith that I had never doubted my faith, I had never really graduated from my parents' faith. And so my faith was more of an emotional tie. It was tied to, to heritage. And at some point, you do graduate from that. And in the graduation process, there's the necessity of doubting. There's the necessity of saying, I wonder if my parents were right. And even doubting to the point that you you would you would change your mind if the truth told you they were wrong, and that can cause really you know a lot of uh, difficulties with people, and especially when if they don't have resources or people to go to that are able to direct them to a to a to a form of Christianity that uh, you know is is rightly understood and rightly promoted, which is not uh, just deep down. And oftentimes in the colleges, whenever these kids get into colleges, that's not what they find. They're graduating from their parents, they're leaving their house, they're, they're on their own, and then suddenly you've got all these professors and all these these um, uh, people, the students who are agreeing with them, that are just ridiculing Christianity. And this can cause you just to enter into a, a uh, turmoil uh, of doubt. Yes, it can. And unfortunately, people don't realize that they need to flip the tables on the atheists, because if there's anything you should doubt is atheism. And let me just give you two reasons why, not you, Michael, but our listeners. There's two reasons you ought to doubt atheism. There's a lot of reasons, but let me just give you two. The fact that you are doubting to borrow from Descartes shows that you can think. Now, did you ever ask yourself the question, why can you think? What explains the existence of reason itself? And, and I'm, I'm speaking of this in two senses. Why do the laws of logic exist, number one, the very laws that allow us to even think and to communicate with one another? And number two, why does your mind exist? How does a mind actually exist? And why do you have the capacity to think? That can't be explained by atheism. In fact, John Lennox, our mutual friend, uh, often asks his atheistic colleagues, tell us about your mind. And they, they, simple, they, they typically say, well, my mind or my brain was the product of natural forces, blind natural forces that didn't have any end in mind. And Lennox will stop and say to them, and you trust it? I mean, why should you even trust your mind if it was put together by forces, random natural forces that didn't have its end in mind? The very fact that you can think, the very fact that you can think about anything and doubt about anything should tell you that you have a mind that's made in the image of a greater mind. And that mind itself is God. So the laws of logic and the very fact that you can think 
ought to cause you to pause and say, hey, it's much more reasonable to believe that our mind is the, is the product of a greater mind than for us to believe that our mind is the product of natural forces over which there was, there was no direction, there was no control, there was, it was completely random. Uh, it really seems like there's, there, there must be a mind out there. Now, this doesn't necessarily prove Christianity, but it shows that there, it, it's, it's pretty good evidence for theism, if you will, and you can yeah. reason to Christianity from there, which you do so well. In fact, Mike, you're you're about to teach a new course uh, a- again called Theology 101 that people can access at crossexamine.org. And you're going to deal with a lot of issues that people may doubt. What are some of the things you're going to talk about in that Theology 101 course? Well, I mean, the, the primary thing is, like you said, trying to help people understand. Not you got to get people to uh, understand how to think before... Mm-hmm you can really get to the what to think. Right. Because if you don't understand how to think and how you think, how you evaluate, how you, criticize, how you have self-criticism, how you're able to choose among options, um, then you're not really able to move forward in the rest of theology. So the, the Theology 101 or Intro to Theology, it's sometimes called prolegomena, which, you know, you talk about the prologue in a book, which is the first is the part that everybody skips. But traditionally, right. the prologue is very important. You know, it gets you set up for everything that's coming. It orients your mind, it orients your thoughts, it orients you and, and gives you kind of a roadmap so that you can move forward with the rest of the book. Now, I'm not saying it's always used that way today, but that's traditionally what a prologue is. It's something that you need to read beforehand. And then in, inside of theology, that's basically it. It's saying, Let's figure out how to think through these issues before we get into the issues. Let's figure out how to believe before we start telling you what to believe. And so that is what yeah, the Internet Theology, we cover, we cover um, a, a section called Sources of Theology. Where do we get our understanding of God from? What are the sources? For instance, we cover uh, the five sources, which are first the Scripture, then nature, and then um, church history, and then reason, and then emotions, and experience, maybe that was six. But all of these things we we uh, use, we utilize, and I kind of believe if you can set them up on a board and kind of shuffle them around and say, what's at the very front of this board? Or we, use it, we call it the stage of truth. What's at the front of the stage of truth? Is it scripture? Is it emotions? Is it experience? And we, we, we orient and we try to help people understand how it is to set up your board of thinking so that you can rightly understand God and evaluate the options from the many sources that God has given. So that's the, you know, it's the most important part of introduction to theology. We also talk about the issues of how certain we can be on things. Uh, what, what, you know, sometimes we talk about certainty and people... People get disturbed and doubt because they're not absolutely 100% certain about everything. And that was, that was the problem with Descartes. He acted as if true knowledge only came with 100% certainty, and the Cartesian method has plagued this. I like the Cartesian method in some ways, the method that Rene Descartes gave to us. But I like it in some ways, uh, you know, actually in many ways, but... The one thing I don't like is this idea of absolute certainty in order for a belief to be true, and that is just not right. And that's one of the important things about dealing with people who doubt, is to say, hey, listen, I can have conviction 
high degree of conviction without saying I have mathematical certainty. Mm. You know, because there's all the what ifs. Everybody will bring up the what ifs. Well, what if this? What if this? What if this? And there's a thousand what ifs. And, and there's a thousand possibilities like what if the uh, somebody stole the body of Jesus? What if, uh, you know, these were just illusions? And just bringing up what ifs is not is not um, uh, it does not it does not justify our doubts uh, the way we think they do because the inclusion of many possibilities does not affect the probability. So if it's the probability that say Jesus rose from the grave, you don't you can't throw in a what if and say, well, my my faith is in disarray. There's always what ifs. In fact, one thing I learned from Gary Habermas, and it may have even been in the course that we have online here, although I heard him say it elsewhere, too, um, he said that possibilities are not probabilities, and there's a difference between coming up with a possibility and coming up with evidence for that possibility. I mean, yeah. you could say anything. I mean, you could say aliens yeah. took Jesus' body, right? You could say yeah. that, right? But do you have any evidence for that? That's the question. <laughs> and, and atheists are quick to come up with possibilities without any evidence for that possibility. And they go, well, that's possible. Maybe that, like, like it's like the multiverse, you know? We got a multiverse now yeah. because it's really hard to explain how this universe could exist and be so fine-tuned like it is. So let's just posit that we're just one of billions or trillions of universes and we just happen to be the one that that has these qualities or characteristics that it's not really designed we're just kind of the luck of the draw well that's possible but do you have any evidence for that well no okay okay well yeah, fine yeah and 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 we we find this all the time now i'm looking at the the kind of the syllabus for the course you're about to teach i think this course begins what april 2nd something like that or april 3rd Anyway, yeah. you go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses from this. Here are just some of the things uh, Michael's going to cover in this course. Michael Patton, that's who I'm talking to right now. Who are you and why are you here? What is theology? Who's a theologian? Um, what is the theological process? What is epistemology? What is postmodernism? What questions are postmoderns asking? What is the, the postmodern view of truth? What is the Christian view of truth? Uh, what truths are relative and what truths are objective? What are the essential truths for orthodoxy? Uh, how can you be certain about your beliefs? Why are there so many denominations? What are the different sources for truth? All this stuff and much more you can learn and quell some of those doubts you might have from Michael Patton, my guest, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. That's just one of the courses we're offering. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. And I want to ask Michael when we come back, how much doubt affects the truth of the existence of God or not? Because a lot of people think if they doubt, well, God doesn't exist. We're going to unpack that when we come back. Don't go away. I'm Frank Turk, back in two. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking today about doubt. And if you doubt we're talking about that, keep listening, because your doubts are going to go away. That's what we're talking about. We're talking to my friend Michael Patton, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, a man that's put together courses, some of which you can take at crossexamined.org. And uh, I want to mention, before we go back to Michael, that um, I'm going to be in Shreveport, Louisiana this, well, Sunday, tomorrow, and Monday night. We're doing events on, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, and we're taking your questions. And you can go to crossexamined.org and click on the... um, 
click on events and Frank Turek calendar, you'll see what's happening there. And then next weekend, I'll be in Waycross, Georgia, uh, speaking at a church down there. All the details, again, on our website right there. Later in the month, Vanderbilt University and the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. So check that out as well for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist events. Been doing a lot of events at colleges, seven over the past 35 or 40 days, seven colleges, uh, all, just about all of them. You can see on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org, because we stream them live now and they stay in archive up there. So if you want to see those events, you can. And if you've seen the presentation before, you can just fast forward to the Q&A. That's always the fun part anyway. All right. We're talking to my friend, Dr. Uh, or Michael Patton, I should say. And uh, Mike, we've been talking about doubt. You've got this blog here, uh, 12 Ways to Prepare Your Children for Times of Doubt. Richard Dawkins actually commented on it. And um, let's talk about one of them. And then we'll get back to this question of faith and doubt. Uh, the very first way you say to prepare your children for times of doubt is to let your children know that it is not abnormal to experience doubt. Unpack that for us. Well, you know, it's, it's children, it's adults. This is this is broadly applicable. Anybody who goes through this time of doubt, and you know, it's 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 so common whenever you're going through doubt um, or it's kind of sister the, the depression, which usually comes along with it. One of the things is you're stuck in your own mind and you think you're the only one. And that's what intensifies both doubt and depression is that I'm the only one who's gone through this and nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands how hard this is. Mm-hmm. And that, that's simply untrue. And especially when it comes to doubt, just think of somebody that is uh, you know, drowning in the water and uh, you, you've got uh, people who go and try to rescue them. And whenever they're in a panic, both of them will drown because the guy that's trying to rescue them is getting kicked and pulled down under by the person who's drowning. And so the first thing you got to do is you got to calm them down so that they can be rescued. And I, I think this is so important because if if they think they're the only one, and if they're in this panic, they don't think anybody understands. They don't think you understand. So everything you throw at them. Everything you say to them is just going to be bounced off automatically in their mind because they're, they're kicking and screaming, and they, they, you know they're they're not ready to be helped. So the first thing you do is you you calm them down. You say this is not abnormal. This is not something that is that uh, should cause such a panic. And even and I, and I said this in the blog whenever parents have been through it themselves to be able to admit this stuff because I think sometimes people are ashamed whenever they go through doubt or they're in doubt. They don't want to tell anybody. And so that's so important for everybody, for children, for everybody that is in doubt. Uh, if you're trying to deal with them, just to make sure that they understand, you know, Charles Spurgeon went through it. C.S. Lewis went through it. I mean, grief observed at the end of his life. Wonderful book, but one that just is struggling and wrestling with God. Martin Luther goes it. You've got in the Bible Abraham who doubts God. Whenever God says, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to give you all these children, he says, How may I really know? You know, I'm not taking a word. I really need more. You've got uh, you've got Elijah. You've got Jonah. You've got John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. That Jesus said this while he was doubting the very person of Christ. What a, wow. what a great illustration to calm us down and say, hey, this this may be part of the Christian life. 
Isn't it interesting, Michael, you brought up uh, John the Baptist, which is uh, amazing, as you say, that uh, he didn't have any doubts, it seemed, when he baptized Jesus. But when he's in a prison waiting his execution, he's wondering, is Jesus really the one? And what does Jesus say to tell uh, John the Baptist, the messengers going back to John the Baptist, look at the signs, look at the evidence, in other words. And that's that's one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I, I see this all the time. I see people saying, I lost my faith, right? And yeah. what, I, what I do is I stop and I say, okay, let's say you have lost your faith. Let me ask you a question. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that Christianity is true. It is, but let's just say for the sake of argument it is, and I know you doubt it, does your doubting it change whether or not God exists or Jesus rose from the dead or Christianity is true? Of course, the answer is no. It doesn't change it at all. So why would you concentrate on your psychology rather than the evidence? Jesus says, look at the evidence to see if it's true. You may doubt the evidence, but the evidence, if it's good, really helps us understand that Christianity is true. And I think the evidence is, is good and so I found, I don't know if you found this, this is what I wanted to ask you. When you consider your doubts, and all of us have doubts on occasions, when you consider your doubts, are your doubts more intellectual, meaning, well, you can't figure out if the cosmological argument's good, or you can't figure out whether the, uh, the New Testament manuscripts are good, or the New Testament writers told the truth, or are they more emotional? Like when you say, gee, I don't know, if, if God really existed, why would I be going through this tough time? Or, you know, why isn't God more overt? I mean, how... How are your doubts? Are they more intellectual or more volitional, or, or I should say more emotional? I think just about all doubts really start emotional, because it's either breaking down the emotions that you had, the emotional convictions that you had beforehand about Christianity that kind of served as your, as your lifeboat or your anchor, or, or something that you're going through now. Just like you said, John the Baptist, great illustration. Where was he at the time of his doubts? Why was he confused? What did he expect God to do? And so, so many of us, you know, we start that way. We have, we have maybe a bad understanding of God or bad theology, or we may, we may just not have experienced these things that uh, we we uh, have heard growing up, like suffering is part of the Christian life, and and uh, you know, many people have gone through this dark night of the soul where it doesn't seem like God's there. But whenever you go through it, it's a whole different ballgame. And once you're in that emotionally, let's say God doesn't answer your prayers, you know that you you've had, and you pray so hard for them, and you just, you, you feel like he's not answering them. Uh, he's not he's not doing what you want him to. And then, then, after that, the emotion of being let down causes you to go into other areas and begin to investigate. And hopefully at that time, as you're talking about, you begin to investigate. There's good people around. There's good resources around so that you can investigate well. But unfortunately, so many of the time, there's just not. There's people, there's other people out there that are spewing misinformation intentionally, and then many, many, many who are doing it unintentionally. They just haven't really thought through the issues themselves, but they get a quick soundbite on the internet or heard something that uh, that they that they spread, and it becomes part of their part of their creed. But uh, they're they're unintentional that way because they haven't really heard anything good. They haven't right. heard they haven't heard you. They haven't heard Jimmy Habermas. They haven't heard all the wonderful. There's there's you know this right. There's so many good people. There's so many good scholars. There's so much good stuff. And it's just like 
We want so bad for them to grab a hold of it and have it accessible to them at all times. Well, that's why you've done such great work in pulling these courses together. And the one you're going to teach uh, beginning, I'm looking at the website now, it's uh, actually April 3rd, day after Easter, uh, Theology 101 with Michael Patton. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. And the week after that, we're going to run, I don't have enough, why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist again. Now, both these courses, friends, you can ask us questions directly live if you take the premium version over uh, Zoom. You guys know about Zoom? If you just Google Zoom, Zoom's a great little uh, program that you can have video conferencing on. You can, you can see one another and ask one another questions. So if you take Mike's course, Michael Patton, Intro to Theology, Introduction to Theology, you'll be conversing with Mike directly via video. If you take my course, you'll be conversing directly with me. If you take Gary's course, you'll be conversing directly with Gary Habermas, etc., uh, when it's offered again live. And you can take any of these courses self-paced anytime you want. So this is, uh, it, it's important to have this, this evidence available. And you know, one thing I want, one point I want to make about this, Mike, I, I don't think many atheists uh, understand this, and maybe even some Christians don't, is that there is no kind of neutral ground when it comes to theology and what you believe. In other words, if you reject Christianity, it's not like you don't have any beliefs yourself. You still have to explain where the universe came from, why are we here, where do the laws of logic come from, the laws of morality. Uh, you still have to explain reality uh, around you. You just can't say, well, I don't believe in Christianity. You still have a worldview. So no matter what position you take, no matter what worldview you have, you have the burden of proof to try and show others why you, why your worldview actually is true. You have to show yourself first and then show others. So it's not like the default position is I'm an atheist. No, <laughs> there is no real default position. Uh, you, you, you have to, if you're going to be a thinking person, have to have an explanation for why reality is the way it is. Is the Christian view of reality the right reality? Is the Muslim view of reality the right reality? The Hindu view, the Buddhist view, the atheistic view? No matter what view you take, it seems, to me anyway, that you ought to have some reasons for believing that way. And yeah, um, even, Go ahead. Even if you take the agnostic position, I, we actually go through this very thing in the introduction of theology class where we ask, who is a theologian? And we go through and we act like, you know, is this person a theologian that is a, that is a Christian? Of course he is. What about uh, this person out there that is a that is a uh, Hinduist? Of course he is. But what about this person out there that's an atheist? Well, of course uh -huh. he is. Yeah. He, of course he is. Because he's made decisions about God. Wait a minute. What about the person who is agnostic? Because they don't have any... No, that's not true either. Because they have an agnostic philosophy. And here's the idea here is they believe that the evidence is not good enough, and therefore they should stay agnostic. That is a worldview. It, it requires right. a, a ton of assumptions right. that, that you have to commit to. And so it's just a matter of questioning everything at first, you know, and understanding that, uh, you know, like you said, everybody has a worldview. And... It's amazing that people don't seem to realize that. They think the default position was, I don't have to believe in anything, and, and I'm, I'm going to be, well, yeah, I guess you can go through the world naive, <laughs> but if you really want to be a thinking person, if you want to be someone who speaks truth, you ought to be able to give reasons for why you believe reality is the way it is. And you can learn yeah. more about that in the theology course. You can learn more about that and why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist and so many other courses we're offering. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. I'm talking to my friend Michael Patton, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the top seminaries in the world who 
teaches courses and put together some other some other courses that are great as well. And we'll talk more about doubt. We're going to get more of the ways to prepare your children for times of doubt right after the break. So don't go away. I'm Frank Turner. How do you deal with doubt? You ever doubt that what you believe is true, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, or anyone in between? After all, we're not omniscient beings. How much certainty do you need to have? Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can make your way into the kingdom of heaven. So it's not like you have to know everything for certain. Uh, And there's a difference, by the way, between believing that something is true and trusting in it. You can believe that Jesus is the Savior, as the demons do, and not trust in him because you don't want his free gift. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote that little book in the New Testament called James, said, even the demons believe, but they tremble. See, they know God exists better than we do, but they don't trust in him. So there's a difference between belief that and belief in. Right now we're talking about belief that. What evidence do we have for the Christian worldview and what can you do about it? Uh, if you doubt it. And we're talking to my friend uh, Michael Patton, and he wrote a blog a few years back called 12 Ways to Prepare Your Children for Times of Doubt. We've covered uh, one of them. You can Google the article to see more about this. We said, hey, let, you let, let your kids know it's not abnormal to experience doubt. Now, Michael, what else? Well, what, what else can a parent do to help his or her child with doubt? Well, I think one of the main things is uh, the parent has to they they have to know what's coming up. They have to know what the challenges will be and challenge them beforehand. Because, you know, if if the child is brought up in a in a certain environment, let's say it's protective, and I I'm not I, I, I don't mean to come down on people that are overprotective and won't let their children understand any of the alternatives out there, but I think it's very important for us to be able to do that. And it's kinda of like one time I heard um uh, uh, a, a parenting class that I that I was uh, at at church, and um, uh, the the speaker said, "Make sure that you're the first person who tells your kids about sex, mm. because if they, they hear it from somebody else first, then you become less relevant because these other people are smarter than you and have more of the inside knowledge about things than you." And I think it's the same thing. Whatever comes to challenges to Christianity and doubt, if you are challenging your kids, if you're asking them the questions that they're going to get and, and making sure that they're prepared, then, then it's going to be so much different for them because they're not going to be blindsided by things. I remember one time I was, uh, this, is a, this is a small illustration, but it's a, I think it's a good one. I was uh, taking my kids to school and my oldest daughter uh, was in the back and she uh, had forgot her pencil that she needed for school and it's very important pencil. And so she begged and begged for me to take her back and I said, I can't. Said, we're we're going to be late and being on time is more important than having that pencil. And she says, well, what do I do? I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray right now that that pencil appears in your hand. <laughs> and she said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'll pray for it. And she prayed, and she and I looked at her and here, and she said no. And I said, you know what, Kaylin? I mean, God is powerful enough to have done that, isn't He? She said yes. I said He's benevolent or kind enough to do things like that, isn't He? She said yes. I said then if that's true about God and He didn't do that, then I don't think God exists. And I, and I said that to her, <laughs> and she said, Dad. If God didn't exist, a pencil wouldn't exist in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> That's an insightful young woman. 
Oh, it was so great. I was so happy for them with that one. But it's those types of things. It's, it's you, you got to be mindful. And and it's not the same with every kid. I'm not saying to open up one of those three years old and dump all these things on him. Each kid is different. And you, you, you challenge them in different ways. But you just make sure that those main areas of apologetics are covered. And like you said, Frank, uh, during the break, uh, we got to make sure the parents know this stuff first. And that's so true. I mean, parents out there, in order to prepare a kid for doubt, these are things that you have to have gone through and you have to wrestle with and that you have to uh, ask insightfully rather than, you know, inquisitively. <laughs> like you're really wondering about these things uh, for the first time because we don't want to become irrelevant as Christians because you can intellectually become irrelevant so quickly because you, you you act like a deer in the headlights whenever questions come up. I've never heard that. I've never thought about that. Well, we need yeah. to. We need to yeah. think about it. That's right. That's right. And that's why these courses that you've developed are so helpful, not just to parents, but also to younger people. Uh, because, as you say, you got the best scholars in the world who are teaching this stuff at an understandable, accessible level for everyone. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You can see that. You know, you remind me of uh, Josh McDowell. Uh, Mike, because uh, he he tells a story when Sean was very young, he would take his son Sean McDowell to uh, parks and see you know profanity graffiti written on the uh, wall there, and uh, he would tell him what it meant. And uh, mm-hmm. later on in life, because uh, Josh was always trying to do what you just said, you know, talk to the kids about these things before their friends do, because their friends are going to give them misinformation. But later in life, Sean came to Josh and said, Dad, and Josh McDowell, you know, one of the top apologists in the world. Sean came to Josh and said, Dad, I don't even know if Christianity is true. I don't know if I can believe what you believe. Now, a lot of parents would freak out. Josh didn't do that. In typical Josh fashion, he looked at Sean. He said, Son, that's great. He said, because he said, because you can't have my faith anyway. It's got to be yours and yours alone. He said, so if you doubt, that's fine, but do me one thing. Would you promise me one thing? Yeah, sure, Dad. What? Would you follow the truth wherever it leads? Well, of course, Dad. He said, great. Well, let's look at the, let's look at the evidence together then. And he went through the evidence. They went through the evidence together. And Sean, as you know, now is a Ph.D. and teaches apologetics yeah. at Biola. You know, he's yeah. just as good as his dad, if not better, because his father didn't freak out. His father went through the evidence with him. And by the way, that's why I think it's important to ask the question I always bring up on this program. Ask people, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Just ask the question. If it were true, would you become a Christian? Because so often doubt isn't really emotional or intellectual. Sometimes it's volitional. They don't want it to be true. Yeah. In fact, our, our mutual friend Gary Habermas put it this way. He, you know, he, he's written several books on doubt. I know you know Michael. And, yeah. uh, and he talks with people on the phone all the time about doubt. And uh, a lot of times when people come to him who were Christians and are now atheists or skeptics, they'll say, you know, I've been thinking. And Gary has uncovered this truth. He says, it's not really that they've been thinking. Typically what happens is if they were honest, they would say, I've been sinning. And, and now I'm trying to find intellectual justifications for my lack of trust in Christ. I don't yeah. know, have you found that very much? Have you found that uh, quite frequently doubt is volitional rather than intellectual or emotional? Here's what I found. I found there's two types of doubters out there, two primary uh-huh. types. And I, 
very breaking down between the intellectual and and uh, uh, emotional and, and so on. But there, there there are two types, generally speaking. And if you can picture somebody either walking away from God with their back turned toward you, maybe they're thinking about as walking out of the church. And once you get out of the church, you pronounce Christianity. So you're walking away from the pulpit. And right. some people are walking away from God with their back toward Him, and God's calling on them, and people are calling on them, but they, they're not hearing it, they don't really care. It's kind of it's kind of this new exciting world in some way where, hey, maybe Christianity is not true. I'm going to keep on exploring this. And maybe they don't say that in the front of their head, but in the back of their head, that's what's going on. And they just keep walking. They're not wanting it to be true. And so they walk away from the faith and walk out of the church. Others, however, that I believe are true Christians going through this, they're walking away, having trouble with their faith, with their arms outreached toward the pulpit. and they do not want to leave. They they sincerely want Christianity to be true, but they're having so many doubts and struggles. And, and those are the ones that are you know, I like to deal with because they're the ones that can actually, we, we can reason with, we can right. we can explain things to. The other ones, it's just their back turned toward them, and it doesn't matter what you say. Mm. That's why you got to ask them that question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian or would you come back to Christianity? Uh, Another one of these uh, ways that you can prepare your children for times of doubt. I love this one in this article that you've written. We're talking to Michael Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N. You say, allow for a great deal of mystery. Now, I love that because it doesn't matter what worldview you have. There's going to be mystery. And if God exists, and he does, and he's infinite, and he is, it would be strange if an infinite God didn't appear strange to us. I mean, there's some things we're just not going to get. Unpack, allow for a great deal of mystery. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it, it is. It's very much like you said. It's it's this this. Um, I think uh, you know, whenever people doubt, I, what I've come across is they are they are more compulsive than others. You know, they're just they just have to have everything figured out. I asked this question. This is one of my doubt questions. I don't know if you remember it, but it's, it's how many licks will it take you to get to the center of a two feet bump? And most of them, you know, most of them say one because I crunch right into it. I say that's right. Compulsive, and you have to get things done. And so right. you have the, this type of doubter who is extremely compulsive. They want all the answers. They and and it, it it's like it's like they're saying I'm going to hold off on the faith. And so I get the puzzle put completely together, and I can see it perfectly. And I say, listen, I ain't got a puzzle put together. I can see it good enough. I can see Jesus in that puzzle. I can see him on the cross. I can see the resurrection. But there are missing pieces in that puzzle, and I've got to allow for those missing pieces, because even God himself said, the secret things belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. But the things revealed, the emphasis is upon the things revealed. You know, sometimes we look at that, we say, the secret things, and that's the big part of the verse. That's not the big part of the verse. The big part of the verse is, but the things revealed belong to you. And that's a, that's a great thing. God has revealed so much. He's given us so many pieces of that puzzle. But let me tell you something. You're not going to have them all, but it's clear enough. That's it's right. Compelling. Excellent insights, Michael. We're talking to Michael Patton, and we're running out of time, Mike, so we've got to put a wrap on this. But people can learn, and you can see how well-versed Michael is on theology just from a few of his comments. You can learn from him directly at the new course, which begins on April 3rd, 
Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you can see that. Mike, thanks for being on the program. Hey, thank you. And by the way, you should have no doubt that's going to be a great course talking about doubts (laughs) because he can clear up a lot of doubts for you, and he will. So sign up for that course. And then also, why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist is coming up on April uh, 14th, something like that, at 9th. It's on the the website. Go to crossexamine.org. I'm Frank (laughs) Turk. See you next time, friends. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.